Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. From comics and video games to science and technology, if it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. And I'm Jess. And this is the Top 20 Nerdy Things of 2016. Woo! This is our annual list dedicated to celebrating the geekiest, nerdiest stuff that's happened all year across every genre. Massive achievements in human ingenuity and also cheesy pop culture. Coming together, graded purely on the abstract concept of what is or isn't nerdy as dictated by us, Nerdy Show. We're professionals. Because if it's geeky, we've got it covered. <laughs> so, yeah. 2016. Elephant in the room? Yeah, it's just a good list, but boy, oh. Not so awesome, I would say. The, the fact that there's a worldwide consensus that this year has completely sucked, it's been awful. Oh, man, what a time to be alive. It is a time to be alive. I, I don't know if it's a good time or a bad time yet, but uh, we are definitely in the midst of history right now, I would say. So we'll see. It's fascinating to me that this particular rotation around the sun has been worse than all others that we can collectively remember. Yeah. An endless litany of celebrity deaths up to the day that we're recording this. The Pulse Massacre, of course, here in Nerdy Show's own backyard. And bigotry, social injustice, environmental upheaval, Batman versus Superman. Absolutely everything oh, associated with the U.S. presidency. I know it's kind of... I debated whether or not to include it, the Batman versus Superman, in this list of, of atrocities just no, to... No, it, it deserves but, to be there. I just thought, you know, I thought it'd be funny and maybe a little levity in spite of everything else <laughs> that I'm saying. I still feel awkward about it. I'm sorry. Uh, Brexit. Fuck 2016. It's yeah. awful. There's a lot of pressure 2017. You gotta you gotta really hit the ground running. Yeah. But there have been some things in this year that have been good, and we're going to celebrate those here in this episode. And there's been good things for Nerdy Show. Aside from what's happened in the world around us, it's very good things have happened. We launched some new shows, like for example, the uh, scripted sci-fi series, The Orphans. Our long-standing project, Lightning Dogs, turned into its own series, the official podcast, where we document our journey to create an animated series about anthropomorphic dogs from another world fighting against mutants in a post-apocalyptic Earth. And uh, Dungeons and Doritos is back. We accidentally created a video game concept that's now being developed as an actual <laughs> video game. Spider Simulator, the the terrifying uh, man versus spider simulation game. 
Yeah, still still not sure how excited I am about that, but it, it's still cool. Oh, yeah, me too. I never, ever want to play it, but I'm very enthused that it's happening. That's a good that's a good way to sum that up. <laughs> I, yeah. It, Jess, you went to Japan. I did go to Japan. Sometimes it's uh, it's hard to believe that that was <laughs> earlier this year. But yeah, and it was amazing. And not only did you go to Japan, which is, you know, a, a great thing in and of itself, but you visited a location from last year's top 20 nerdy things. I did. Yes, I went to the world's first robot operated hotel and it was everything I could ever want it to be. You named a cat after the robot. Yeah, we adopted kittens later this year, which was also another happy occurrence. And we named one of them after Churichan, who was our slightly depressed but oh so lovable in-room robot. We actually have a whole microsode where you talk about that Japan adventure and we'll link to it on this episode's page. We'll link to a lot of things on this episode's page, as a matter of fact, because we have, uh, uh, well, at least 20 items <laughs> that you might not have experienced that you're going to want to check out. One final note, one tremendous note that might be the direct result of you listening to this. Our fans had a tremendous collaborative achievement of raising $1,000 a month on Patreon to help keep the Nerdy Show Network not just alive, but growing. The return of D&D and Ghostbusters Resurrection are a direct byproduct of that, and we are humbled and thrilled and love all of you so much for making that possible. Confetti! There were incredible <laughs> events this year. Moogfest returned. We have a whole episode dedicated to that. Camp Fangamer did a second follow-up year in another completely different immersive experience themed around Earthbound. Well, this time... Mother 3. And at that event, they debuted to the world what is destined to be the future sport of the 21st century, Mayonnaise Hole. Ooh. Which all of this requires some degree of explanation. And if you're not aware, you got a lot of catching up to do. But don't worry. You're going to love every minute of it. We had awesome films like Doctor Strange and Civil War, which were just incredible. Unlike Batman versus Superman. And Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. It was so good. There were many great comics this year, including DC's actual rebirth. They don't suck now. What a surprise. That is a surprise. It's, it's, I need to read DC now, actually. It's genuinely shocking how good they are. It's absolutely repugnant. And there are many unexpected things that happen in comics this year. For example, my favorite comic of the year, The Flintstones. <laughs> written by Mark Russell, the guy who wrote Prez, one of the winners of the top 20 nerdy things of last year. And also, just shout out to Bebop and Rocksteady Destroy Everything a Ninja Turtles comic that's one of the best pieces of time travel literature to come out this year. And there have been a lot of pieces of time travel literature to come out this year. It's really a thing now. Everybody seems to be doing it. You know why, Jess? Because 2016 sucks and we want to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yes, that's exactly why. <laughs> Video games Overwatch just swept the universe. Incredible animated shorts to go along with it. Quantum Break from uh, Remedy. I'm late to the bow of this. I just started playing, but... Another time travel story, and it's fucking incredible, and the graphics are, whoa, I've never seen anything like it. And Final Fantasy XV, I just started playing that, and the whole open world is just mind-boggling. It's huge. Although I do still miss turn-based battle sequences, but it's still really cool. And I'm, having divorced myself from Final Fantasy after X, I'm very excited to experience the complete lack of turn-based combat. So someday, <laughs> maybe I'll find time for it. And there was tons of great television as well. For example, Preacher. Legends of Tomorrow, Luke Cage, Dream Court LLC, The Get Down, Red Dwarf came back this year, and uh, Bohr tells me that Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency is incredible, and I'm going to regret it not being on the list, but such is the case with late editions. For example, just recently slid across our desk here at Nerdy Show, the 
original Ninja Turtles animated series opening sequence animated completely in Mario paint over the course of four months. What? I missed that one. Yeah, I mean, this just happened. There's awesome nerdy things happening all the time. And apparently both those things could have had a place in this list. But guess what? All the stuff we just mentioned is not on this list. What more could there be? Suspense. We're generating suspense. So they keep listening. (laughs) And actually, you know, I I listened to um, last year's top 20 list prepping for this year. And uh, there are a couple key items that we suspected might happen in 2016 that, that didn't come to fruition, but might yet still happen in 2017. Like what, pray tell? <laughs> like Megabots doing the uh, first ever real-life giant robot battle. Mmm, that's right. They are gearing up, and we did do an article, and they are doing a whole video series on what they're doing leading up to the fight. So I think it's entirely possible that 2017 could be the year. Yeah. And of course, the Protoman and uh, Act 3. Act 3 still isn't out, and neither is uh, Light Up the Night. They're... Uh, short film, which I have the privilege to have seen and wrote an entire review for, but it's not out yet. They, I mean, the review's out. You can read the review, but the, the film, I guess it's coming in 2017, and I guess there's going to be some really good reason that it's taken so long. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you can imagine, with us having listed all this incredible stuff that happened that is not on this list, It's quite challenging to assemble this list. We have a whole process of checks and balances and debating. It is. And how long have we been doing this now? Since 2009. Yeah, and we still do it. (laughs) No, I mean, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's good, but it is a lot of work. It is a lot of debating. There's a lot of like, oh, we've settled this. This seems like a good list. And then the next day it's like, no, nerd rage. This can't be on the list. This needs to be up here instead. So... It's an ever-evolving process over the course of, I don't know, probably like two or three weeks, really, to to kind of get everything locked and loaded. Yeah, because every time we think it's done, something goes wrong. Exactly. Or something new pops up. There are a few last-minute additions because we were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we either forgot about this or um, (laughs) this amazing thing just got released and is really cool and we need to put it on the list right now. Yeah. Well, let's give everybody an example of how this goes down, because the thing is, we have so many items, we can't just talk about these topics willy-nilly. We actually have to time ourselves. If you go back in time and look at some of our earlier lists, you'll see, oh my god, the runtime on that episode is ludicrous. Yes. Well, our solution for that is a time limit. Everything we talk about is going to have a three-minute time limit, and when that time comes, well, we're going to hear a ringtone created by nerd musician Heaven Pegasus. In this case, it's cheeky reminder that is a cheeky reminder (laughs) it's a great set of ringtones and we'll link to where you can buy them on this episode's page they're dirt cheap and i use them for everything because they're very pleasant so to start here's an example for many of these topics jess and i are going to bring in another host from the nerdy show network to help us talk about these subjects so to start off we're going to not do one of the top 20 nerdy things but we're going to do one of our Nerdy superlatives, some things that we felt really truly needed recognition, but did not make it into the top 20 list for a variety of reasons. All right, let's do it. First up is the Nerdy Achievement Award. We got Brandon here with us. Oh, hi. I love super laxatives. (laughs) (laughs) I have one that should be kicking in any second now, so we gotta gotta speed this up before I make your carpet a certain color. Okay, well, good thing we have a timer set for three minutes. And the color is red. (laughs) Oh, okay. It's that kind. It's that that kind. (laughs) It's that kind. All right, so this is the Nerd Achievement Award, and it's going to Arby's marketing team. Who knew? I mean, I certainly didn't, but... (laughs) 
I guess their social media campaign blew up and I didn't realize it was run by a group that does stuff like this all the time and their marketing manager does like cosplay. Yeah, she's a she has hacks. An incredible Tali cosplay. Jennifer Barkley makes crazy cosplay and was responsible for working with Arby's head of social media to create crazy Instagram and Facebook posts, um, which you really need to check out. We'll, I ha- we'll I link have, to all of them. I have a list of some if I could just read them for off. For sure. There's one from Nathan Drake from Uncharted hanging onto a cliff of fried cheese sticks. Um, <laughs> they have ones of Arkanoid, Voltron. These are, like, these are photos made from Arby's food and, yeah, the pa- and Arby's packaging. There, there's Kratos with a French fry beard. <laughs> there's a Nintendo Switch full on made out of cardboard. I don't know how they're not sued at all from using these because they're obviously making a profit on these because people are seeing these and go, let's eat at Arby's. For for the first time in years, people are saying, let's eat at Arby's. I ate at Arby's once and never again, but I might now. There was one that was an onion ring with the Half-Life symbol (laughs) in it and it just said, it's been confirmed. And it's like, if you're not a gamer fan, you have no idea what the hell that means. So I liked the super cute Totoro made out of uh, Arby's boxes <laughs> next to like a cheese stick. And they're both, yeah, holding, umbrellas. Stick, both yeah. holding umbrellas. <laughs> we saw one actually today, which was the last guardian, the creature from the last guardian, which that game is out now, by the way, but it's on a milkshake and there's so many feathers like this thing must have taken hours to make as well as the game of Thrones one they made as well, <laughs> which is like a thousand intricate swords, which <laughs> Ma- they made made from Arby boxes, made yeah. from Arby boxes. It's insane. And uh, my personal favorite, Goku with a um, uh, hash brown wedge <laughs> oh, hair. <yeah. laughs> He's like potato wedge hairs and like little triangles all over his head. I think it's Goku. It could be Vegeta. They all look alike. <laughs> True. You know. True. <laughs> you know. And there was actually one that was an anime reference that was memed so deep, I didn't get it or know what it was. It's something from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure where like they lifted the bun off of a roast beef sandwich and there was a dude's face there. And I was like, I have no idea what this is i still don't know what it is they've been just deep cuts all year long what's the name of the group that actually does this it's called roar group with an e at the end of group <laughs> there was one that was strong bad and i'm like how many people who eat at arby's which is <laughs> which is no one is gonna is gonna know that reference oh i mean that, that and that's time but i mean hey the times they are a changing and i haven't eaten at arby's in years i used to love it as a kid i never stopped going for any reason other than i stopped eating fast food I guess you had an maybe, incident. Maybe that's the reason for your uh, your problems. Not eating at Arby's? <laughs> or no, yeah, yeah. or if you did eat at Arby's. Yeah. The, you know, the laxatives, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, I would definitely need some after eating at Arby's. Anyway. <laughs> well, thanks, Brandon. So now we're going to start the top 20. And coming in at number 20, we got John Laval on the line with us. Hey, how's it going? It's going good, John. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about Chronicles of Time, which sounds like a super epic adventure of music from the uh, you know hit game Chrono Trigger, right? Yeah, that is what it sounds like. That is what it is. I've started the timer. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. <laughs> what a coincidence! <laughs> you know, every every year there's there's a couple video game music compilations where someone does the entire score of something, but very few of them have been to the quality and scale of this particular project. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of Chrono Trigger fan covers out there these are almost like i mean there's a like a lot of their own arrangements and things and you know there's stuff in the music that it's it's uh, it's gonna be terrible to say this but you know, kind of like man I, I really wish the original song was able to go there you know? <laughs> oh man yeah that's that's a hell of a compliment <laughs> yeah i know i kind of felt bad saying it's like you know you can't say it covers better than the original right but they didn't have a lot to work with with that kind of stuff right i mean you know they had to work with uh sound chips and things so what we have here is the team behind 2013 secret of mana tribute album spectrum of mana immediately after that after two years of work they assembled 75 tracks 
over 200 artists, over 50 illustrations, and across five discs of music. Yeah, and all proceeds heavy. go to Doctors Without Borders. Yeah, that's the oh. most incredible part for me. That's just, wow. So how does that work? Like, do they buy the Doctors some Borders? Well, you might have noticed that Borders Books and Music doesn't exist anymore. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I mean, that's that's really good. And, and actually, I think the fact that it does help other people actually kind of goes with the theme quite a bit. I mean, you spent half the game helping others and, and kind of leaving a legacy behind you. Wow. Yes, they should have had you Super put a deep. quote on the box or something. <laughs> <laughs> we got Stimmage of Metroid Metal, Dale North, the one-ups guitarist William Carlos Reyes and Tim Yarbrough, the Super Soul Brothers, yeah. Descendants of Erdrick, 8-Bit Disaster, Super Guitar Bros, Martial Art, Corey Johnson, who his record Earthbound placed number 13 in our 2014 Top 20 Nerdy Things, Careless, a.k.a. Travis from the Liberty Podcast series, Lauren the Flute, and uh, lots of people from the community's Dwelling of Duels and Overclocked Remix. Is there any particular tracks you would want to give a shout-out to? I like uh, actually really like Joints of Steel. It's, you know, the, the fight with Gato. Yeah, we'll link to where you can hear that on this episode's page. That was the, the timer. That just so we just we just killed that that segment right there. But we're actually gonna be playing a couple tracks from the compilation on this episode. So look forward to hearing those in a few minutes or so. Number nineteen. No guest for this one. It's me and Jess. Hello. And we got something uh we got something real special for you. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, yeah. I've started the timer. This is Sunspring, a short sci fi movie written by an algorithm. A world first. It was it was a first, and uh, it was very eerie. It's not good uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So don't don't imagine some some great like Shakespearean work that an algorithm put together. But it's very eerie to watch because you can kind of see where the algorithm picked from like common themes that you see in sci-fi and just kind of like mush them all together to try to make a coherent story. And it's not a coherent story. But it's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> the AI itself, the algorithm, named itself Benjamin. Oh, right. <laughs> and uh, it's a recurrent neural network called Long Short-Term Memory. It was created by Ross Goodwin, an AI researcher at NYU. And he fed it film and television scripts, including full runs of Stargate SG-1, Star Trek, Futurama, and X-Files. And from that, it dissected the scripts down to the letter learning to predict which letters tended to follow each other and from there which words and phrases likely occur together, and then learned the structure of a screenplay and produced stage directions. We'll link to where you can watch this thing. It's very strange, very fascinating, and uh, has one of the guys from Silicon Valley starring in it. The guy that plays Richard. It made me actually, I don't know, Cap, if this happened to you, but it made me actually physically uncomfortable at points to watch it. No. (laughs) I don't don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because the uh, words were so stilted and the actors were still trying to like perform them with some kind of feeling towards it. But it was just kind of like very weird. And I don't know if it was just like a feeling of like, okay, robots take over the world, but they need humans to like act out their plays. And so it just seemed very (laughs) stifled and forced. And like, at times I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm watching. And this is giving me a very uncomfortable feeling. It's certainly fascinating. And it created stage direction. Like he is standing in the stars and sitting on the floor. (laughs) 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 One of my favorite parts of it is at the award ceremony at the film festival this was created for, because it was actually part of a 48 hour film festival, like just to add another level of complexity to this. They interviewed Benjamin um, (laughs) with him using the same processes that created the script. So, uh, for example, they asked, what is the future of machine written entertainment? And Benjamin said, 
It's a bit sudden. I was thinking of the spirit of the men who found me and the children who were all manipulated and full of children. I was worried about my command. I was the scientist of the Holy Ghost. Wow. <laughs> now I'm just going to be more freaked out the next time I watch that short. <laughs> <laughs> and and here's, here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. They, oh, they, they, they followed this up with, what's next for you? And he said, here we go. The staff is divided by the train of the burning machine, building with sweat. No one will see your face. The children reach into the furnace, but the light is still slipping to the floor. The world is still embarrassed. The party is with your staff. My name is Benjamin. <gasps> Holy shite. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's going to be the future. AI is writing plays and forcing humans to, to, to act them out. It's at the very least poetry. It, yeah, it is. <laughs> so uh, congratulations, Benjamin. You, you did it. You're number 19. Get better. <laughs> <laughs> Number 18, we got John Laval back with us. Hey, yeah, that's me. <laughs> because we're going to talk <laughs> about one of your deepest nerd affinities, and that is professional wrestling. Oh, my goodness. We're talking about the uh, WrestleMania entrance for the New Day, right? Yes, number 18, New Day's WrestleMania entrance. John, why don't you, why don't you describe to us the spectacle, this entrance for WrestleMania that was so good that it alone qualified to be in the top 20 nerdy things of the year? Okay, yeah. So there's a uh, there's a group called The New Day. It features Big E, Kofi Kingston, and uh, Xavier Woods. And Xavier Woods is kind of nerdy on his own. He's that ring gear with, uh, you know, like a Pokeball motif going on, had a whole over 9,000 thing. And to tie into that, their entrance was that they came out in Dragon Ball Z kind of Vegeta-style armor with a giant uh, cereal box. And um, I don't think there's anything nerdier than combining, obviously, you know, your Saturday morning cartoons with some uh, cereal. And the grandest stage of them all, WrestleMania. We'll link to where you can watch it on this episode's page. It's pretty impressive. These guys have, have made a name for themselves this year in particular. You're right, Xavier Woods has his own thing going on. His entrance music for a while, maybe even currently, was uh, a song by Megaran. It switched since then because now he has his tag team, but back in uh, FCW days. And this was a, like, <laughs> it, was a, it was a giant cereal box with Bootio's cereal coming out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they keep you from, uh, from being booty. What, is, what does Which, that mean? Um, you know, well, there's always like, you know, they always come up with these these weird slang things in wrestling, these insidery kind of things. And um, it, being booty is something you don't want to be. You don't want to be booty. Okay. Nobody wants to be a booty. So oh. Oh. is that like basic? So so you, yeah, exactly. So you have to eat your bootios. <laughs> and uh, they also, by the way, they, they wear these these floppy unicorn horns on their heads sometimes. I mean, they themselves, their entire shtick are basically being millennial nerd types but also wrestlers they, they time traveled they fought some kind of like uh vaudeville time travelers at one point this year yeah the, the vaudevillains yeah uh <laughs> that that was pretty wacky too you know i think that if uh if anybody has destroyed the concept of uh you know people being able to pick on nerds i would like to see them in the ring with a new day for sure <laughs> <laughs> And Defenders of the nerd name. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. I feel like the New Day are leading the charge on professional wrestling being like fun again. Like, oh, absolutely. Like 1980s wrestling fun, Hulkamania fun. Yeah, and they've also been kind of called like the new DX. And DX was, you know, they were a group that kind of broke the rules and, you know, they kind of did their own thing. They were known for being irreverent. And, uh, and I think wrestling was missing that for a while. And these guys, especially with that WrestleMania entrance, are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> you, you just you, you just exposed millions of people to your shenanigans uh, on some old guy's budget. You know, Vince has never seen Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> and and uh, what, his wife, uh, Linda McMahon, is, she might be part of, like, Trump's cabinet. So, like, these are, like, you know, the, the <laughs> oldest, whitest people. And uh, they just had to shell out millions of dollars for these dudes to uh, come out in Dragon Ball Z costumes. <laughs> 
So more power to you, New Day. Thanks for keeping it nerdy. And I can't wait to see what they do next. Number 17, we have Adam Briggs from Ghostbusters Resurrection. Yep, that's me. I'm that guy. And this particular thing, this part of the top 20 nerdy things is something different, something that's never happened before. It's a thing that's so spoilerific, we can't include it on this episode. It pertains to Game of Thrones. So here's what we're going to (laughs) do. If you want to hear our entry for number 17, if you're caught up with Game of Thrones in the year of 2016, then uh, you're going to need to go to nerdyshow.com slash Game of Thrones 2016, and you'll be able to hear our entire segment on why this is in here. Otherwise, well, we're going to just roll right along to number 16. And we got to call in a special friend. Hello? Hey, Aaron. Are you ready to talk about some of the top 20 nerdy things of 2016? Yeah. So excited. I thought it was the top 20 nerdy deaths of 2016. (laughs) I did all kinds of research on the deaths. What what did you get? I don't know, man. Like John Glenn and stuff. It just happened. It's cool. Oh, it's cool They're all dead. (laughs) They're all dead. (laughs) Why didn't Stan Lee die, though, man? It's like, (laughs) what the fuck? Because he's a life model decoy. He's been dead for 10 years. Ah, but I had money on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, the year's not over yet. Um, so, all right, well, I'm starting the clock now. Number 16, Return of the Caped Crusaders. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> you know, like the Biff Bang Pal uh, Batman from 66 uh, TV show? Oh, yes. It's revisiting that, but with animation. So it's an animated movie because, you know, they don't look anything like how they looked the actors, but... You know, their voices are similar, so they did new stories based in that universe, and it was it was a lot of fun. I'm glad they did that before the voice actors died, you know? <laughs> and they're like, they got that out while, you know, Adam West still alive, Burt Ward still alive, you know? Yeah. It was really cool. I, I really enjoyed it. It was uh, direct-to-DVD, and uh, DC's been doing a lot of great stuff direct-to-DVD animated, and this was... Kind of a um, love letter to the fans of that era of Batman. What did you think of it, Cap? I loved it. It was so good. <laughs> I mean, I think we divorced ourselves from the 66 era Batman back in the, you know, the 80s because we needed to, because that show cheapened Batman. But it was also a great show and a great piece of pop art. And now things have come around and we can have all the Batmans. And that's a good thing. Right. We, we've had so much dark Batman that, that a little lighthearted Batman is not going to ruin it at all. You know? Yeah, and and real shocker is that this year the buzzworthy Batman directed video thing was the adaptation of the Killing Joke, but it sucked by comparison to this. I mean, this is just better animated, better produced, better written across the board. Yeah, Killing Joke doesn't really hold up all that well compared to a lot of Alan Moore's other works. You know, Batman '66 is just like fun and goofy and kind of trippy, and it's the '60s yeah. with Batman. And you know, like kind of like Batman on an LSD trip. <laughs> it is. And this video, it was super nerdy and nuanced. So many sight gags and in-jokes from the series. And it told a story that was so complicated, it never, ever could have been made back then. And it also really uh, nodded its head to uh, the homoerotic implications between uh, Dick and Bruce. Really? Yeah. Yep. And they like to slide down <laughs> poles and whatnot. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Aunt Harriet, she had some suspicions, but she told those boys it was okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was something going on between the two of them. She didn't know what, but... Yeah. 
So, yeah. so that's time. Return of the Cape Crusaders. You should check it out. And it uh, it did so well. There's a sequel coming out. I cannot wait. William Shatner is playing Two Face, who previously did not appear in that series at all. So Two Face is debuting for the '66 universe, and William Shatner's playing him. That's awesome. I didn't know that. <laughs> Before we go on to number fifteen, we got another superlative for you. This one is our what I guess is now our annual Nerdy Music Video Award. And this is going to OK Go's Upside Down and Inside Out, the world's first zero-gravity music video. Yeah, that was so cool. I mean, they just keep upping themselves, really, every year with everything that they do. Although I guess they did a second video later this year, which was cool, but wasn't as cool as Upside Down and Inside Out. I don't know. I think that it was actually a pretty close call because that one was a video filmed in like a fourth of a second and then slowed down. That's true. I mean... All of it is incredible. And just, I know you and I are on the same page about this, but let's present our concerns about like, OK Go. I love OK Go's music. I love them for that first. And then, of course, they became internet sensations with their extremely and increasingly complicated music videos. But a lot of people just kind of regard them as a weird novelty act and don't really respect them. Yeah, I get that, too. I mean, I've, I've also been a fan of them from the beginning. I got their first album on like Super Sale at Target when I was leaving one night um, <laughs> and it was just so perfect. But yeah, I think, I don't know if it was just because of that first music video that came out with the treadmills and people were like, oh, these guys, they're so gimmicky. They just want attention. I have to defend them a lot. And it's, it's a shame because for me, these music videos, they start with great music and then OK Go, they're not just musicians. They're an artist collective. And though they're not the ones necessarily crunching the numbers to make these extreme feats of filmmaking possible, they have a deep and nerdy love and fascination for technology and engineering and the myriad skills that go into producing these insane pieces of art. Yep. And I mean, using things in ways that they're not originally intended to be used, too. I mean, so if you take the music video that we're talking about... Zero G planes are cool and like you go in, you you fly in them and you float for a little bit and that's awesome. But then they go and they think like, okay, well, what if we shoot a whole music video and basically like we need to do each section in one take and then we just throw a bunch of balloons around and we do this whole choreographed sequence and like put them with paint going everywhere. And it's just, again, you can't mess it up. Like you can't go back and like set everything up and try it again. We're just going to do it and it hopefully will work. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was two weeks of tests, 21 flights, 58 pukings. I mean, and they had to even, they even performed it at a slower speed to better sync the music up to the timing available to them in zero gravity. An unprecedented feat and a sincere tip of the hat to OK Go for doing what should have been the impossible. And I thought, honestly, the coordination required from the last music video um, with the kind of like human kaleidoscope was just uh, difficult enough. And they even had the simulator online where you could try to make your own patterns. And I tried it and I was like, this is this is too much. My brain's going to explode. But this is just another step further. And I I hat off and I have another hat underneath that hat and I tip that hat too because it's just <laughs> it's so great well now we're going to play some music unfortunately it's not okay go but we are going to play a track from our top 20 nerdy thing of the year the Chronicles of Time Chrono Trigger compilation this is the Descendants of Erdrick with Injustice for All a rendition of the trial theme from Chrono Trigger with a little bit of the theme from Phantasm thrown into it which is very appropriate considering the uh, release of the final chapter of the Phantasm series, Phantasm V, and the Phantasm Remastered this year, and then also the unfortunate demise of the tall man, Angus Scrim. 
So here is Descendants of Erdrich with Injustice for All.
So, number 16, and we have a guest we have not had on Nerdy Show before. Please welcome Max Acree. Hey, guys. If you recognize Max's name, it might be because you've seen him around the Nerdy Show forums, or because you've heard us talk about him on Lightning Dogs. We haven't actually gotten to this point in our documentation of our development of that series, but Max is now the vehicle designer for Lightning Dogs. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. Coming pretty soon. Like maybe like next month, maybe you'll hear him on the show for the first time. But Max, we got you on here because the highest ranking video game on the list is something extremely unusual. I'll start the clock here. Number 15 is PS Mystery. Yeah, PS Mystery is pretty wild. I I heard about it only for the first time this year. I guess it's a thing they've been doing for the last three years, though. What it effectively is, is a uh, like a 90s style point and click adventure game. But the game engine is Photoshop which is pretty crazy. So like you use the library window to manage your inventory and to navigate to different rooms as smart objects. So what you'll basically, for those art nerds out there who know Photoshop, it's a layer-based art tool. So you have all kinds of different layers in there that are representative of different elements of your image. And uh, some of them can be a non-destructive item called a smart object, which has different properties than a standard layer. Um, anyway, so it's it's definitely a graphic design nerd, nerd uh, situation. <laughs> yeah, it goes deep. Um, it goes really deep. Yeah, so basically, the, the point is you're, you're looking at what what initially I thought was a like hidden object mystery game where you would just be turning layers on and off to see things, you know, just some kind of neat little widget. And what I discovered was this was effectively a an alternate reality game because you'd have to go to the Photoshop Facebook page and they went live with people in costumes, like, and they would give you like passwords and clues to what you were supposed to be doing through these live videos with people totally in characters if they were being tortured by werewolves and stuff. Like, it was bananas. And uh, <laughs> you can still watch it, some of these. We'll link to where you can where you can watch these videos, and you can still play the game actually. Yeah, you can play the game. So the basic like game loop was that you would download a file or, or a file drop as a zip. It would be a room of some kind, and there would be all this like detail in the room that was all on layers. And some of the and, and this the one is themed different things. Previous years, the first year was a murder mystery, a, like Clue. The second one was a sci-fi, and this one was a medieval fantasy game. Yeah, you you played the role of some jester who had been locked up in a dungeon, and uh, there was some sort of like werewolf king in a room that was you, you were trying to figure out what was going on and break the spell on him, I guess, and. Uh, it started out as a simple like, okay, let me just zoom in on these things and see the level of detail. Let me um, let me turn these layers on and off and whatever. As you got into it, you realized that there was all these smart objects that you could then create a library out of. And then you had this running library of stuff. And if you double click into those, some of them were 3D objects that you could then manipulate and rotate around in 3D to see things that were textured onto them that were representative of like letters that you had to put in the right order. And once you found the right order, you would then go back to the URL where you downloaded it and append the secret word you found to it, and then you'd get a new drop. And so like ah. the, the second drop of files had audio files in it. And I'm like, I didn't even know Photoshop could do that. So you go to the animation panel and you have to like run the animation as if you were making a GIF or whatever. Um, people have actually made feature-length movies in Photoshop now, in case you didn't know. But like Whoa, the, uh, okay. I didn't know. Our, our, oh, yeah. Pear Cider and Cigarettes was a big one that came out this year. Um, some team made that one all in Photoshop. But you can then, you open it up in the animation panel and you play it. And then it had these linked audio files that would have like character voices. It was as well produced as like a, maybe just pre-Fallout 1 era point and click RPG. And uh, it was told completely through the game engine of Photoshop. And, and your inventory and your navigation system was all in the library palette. And there was like a, a lens you would find and you would adjust the layer style. So it would then affect the underlying layers in different ways. And you would see like, 
what looked like black light writing in certain spots. You know, it was <laughs> it was intense. And then then eventually you found a spell book that was a series of Photoshop actions, which are sort of like stored procedures you can use in Photoshop. You hit play on, on a certain one and it would it would run through a series of things where it would create a bunch of adjustment layers that would then change what the room was doing. Or like some of them were situational where if you were in a particular room, it would open the door to the next room and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was presented to you as a folder of actions, but it was a spell book with named spells that all did certain things situationally. It was wild. Crazy. I, I, never, I didn't actually get to the end. I got to the last screen of it and uh, couldn't figure out what to do. And I think I may have done something incorrect. But a guy did win and the Photoshop people reached out to him and did something. I, I think he must have gotten a subscription or something. But several people were specifically called out as like being the, the champions of it. And uh, they acknowledged when people got to the end. So it, it was wild. It was really high scope. It, I, I heard there was something like 100,000 lines of action scripts that someone had written underneath it or something like that. Wow. It was, uh, it was I, pretty, I know it was there's great. 21 scenes, five chapters, and more than 1,100 Photoshop layers. Wow. Yeah, unbelievable. How long did this span? Uh, it was across the course of the week leading up to Halloween. It, it culminated in Halloween. They were hoping someone would finish it by then. A lot of people did. Uh, it was funny, too, because I, I made the mistake of commenting with some progress on there and then like got flooded with a bunch of randos who were like, hey, help me with this thing. I'm like, man, I don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. you, should, you should totally check it out. We'll link to where you can check it out. The first window, and when, I know we, you already heard the alarm go off. We're over time on this, but it's, it's kind of complicated and definitely fascinating. The first scene is uh, a prison cell, and you like d- just do weird shit with Photoshop I'd never experienced before. Like you click on a rat, and then it pulls up the rat individually as an individual Photoshop item, and you see that the, there's a layer of the the rat, and underneath the rat layer is its guts, and then inside of its guts is a 3D object, and then you move the 3D yeah. object around and solve a Resident Evil style shape puzzle. Yeah, and so the point of the tool is to teach you about those features you didn't even know about. And so it was both a learning tool and a uh, project file and a game. It, it was it was cool, and it was this sort of you know alternate reality experience where people are engaging with the with the social media. It was great. <laughs> yeah, it was cool as hell. So PS Mystery number fifteen. Thanks so much for joining us, Max. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Number fourteen. We're pulling on Oral from Flame On. Hey, Oral. Hey, Cap. How's it going? Oh, it's going good. I'm so happy to be in your palatial studio. <laughs> it's the first time. It is the first time. You kind of put flame on the shame. I never said that. Edit that out. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So I'm going to start the clock. We got three minutes to talk about the 14th nerdiest thing of the year, and it's Westworld. Westworld really blew me away. I was excited for it since I, I heard about it. I, know I only heard about it like a couple of months before it actually came it out. It was a surprise. Mm-hmm. I think it was the sleeper hit of the year. It's the thing that, you know, was a crossover appeal for everyone. So whether or not you were into the genre, whether or not you've actually seen the original Westworld, there was something for everyone. You had amazing actors coming together, like Sir Anthony Hopkins, Evan Rachel Wood, my favorite Tandy Newton, who stole the show as Queen Maeve, who traverses like Westworld and through like their version of the underworld to become this powerful entity that's trying to break free of this like predetermined life for her. It is amazing. I can't rave about it enough. I've only seen the first episode, but mm-hmm. I am utterly captivated. And of course, since this list is assembled by a consensus between all of us, clearly there's a lot of love for Westworld and Nerdy Show. And actually, Flame On, you guys did an entire episode dedicated to it recently. Yeah, and it was a blast to do. I got to pull out all my notes because I've been writing reviews for Westworld every week. So I had just like this wealth of stuff that I would like refer back to, things that I totally forgot. Having that sort of deeper understanding of 
And and by deeper understanding, I mean, like, I watched episodes over and over again and then wrote about them. (laughs) I feel like this is uh, one of those shows that you really have to watch multiple times because so much happens and, like, your mind is blown in so many ways that I feel like you have to go back and you have to rewatch to kind of pick up on cues that kind of hint towards these these larger plot points that happen. Exactly. So, I mean, it's obviously it's layered. It's a sci-fi story. Mm-hmm. It's it's Michael Crichton. Now, what would you tell someone who's seen the film and why they should check out the show? The film is a foundation for the show. Mm-hmm. They uh, acknowledge that the, the movie has happened in some capacity. Well, that's but, time, but keep going. Yeah, it is the foundation and the, the bones of the show. And then it just delves into these things that we never really got in the movie, like the origin of sin, like what is life? Are you truly an evil person? Is there a, a certain aspect of original sin in all of us, even if it's like artificial life? Or my favorite part, like bad blood will out. It's super, it's super cool. Awesome. Predetermination. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, thanks so much, Oral. Coming in at number 13, it's Lemon Demon's record, Spirit Phone. Now, this is not just something that's made it into the top 20 nerdy things as a high-ranking record here. This is, personally speaking, one of my favorite records of the year. Yeah, I could see that. It was really good. I just listened to it for the first time a couple of days ago, and I've been listening to it quite frequently ever since. I don't know much about music or like using the right words, um, <laughs> but the feels that I get from it, it takes you on a really fun ride, I think. Lemon Demon, if that name is familiar to you, I mean, we play him on Nerdy FM a lot. He goes back a long ways. He's actually the creator of Harry Potter Puppet Pals. Which is great. And a bunch of other completely unrelated web videos you may have seen throughout the years. I would call this record a paranormal pop record. Yeah, I could get behind that genre. It's very, again, I don't know music or, or how to say it, but I guess whatever he uses to create or the instruments that he uses to create are eerie, but it's fun at the same time. Like I've run to the album and it's like upbeat, even though the lyrics aren't always as upbeat, but it's just, it's it's a really great, fun listen. Yeah, the themes are really dark. I can equate this record to a couple bands for example when people kind of hear it from a distance they're like is this oingo boingo and it's a lot like oingo boingo but oingo boingo done in the 21st century kind of on overdrive or like 10cc who i realize is a more obscure example but both these bands are multi-instrumentalist artistically dynamic creative generally kind of dark and poetic but also very funny bands and here is one person doing all of that oh wow i didn't realize he was just him he did everything himself the only other person credited is there's a guitar solo on one track that was not done by him but was was done by a member of the rock group time crash wow now this is even more mind boggling (laughs) and mind blowing how long does he did he work on this does he say how long it took him to put this together i have no idea so that's time but uh if you like the idea of records about reanimating celebrities, maybe specifically Michael Jackson, calling into AM radio shows with secret truths, a uh, man who transplanted himself into an arcade machine and killed cheaters, falling in love with an unknowable horror, things like that. You might be interested in the spooky stylings of Spirit Phone. We've played it a number of times this year on uh, Nerdy Show, and we're definitely going to play another track later in this episode. Number 12. We got Doug with us here. Yo. We're going to be talking about The Adventures of Indiana Jones, an animated short by Patrick Schoenmaker. Now, Doug, we've talked about this on State of the Empire already in our segment, Indie Inquiries. Yes. But this thing, it shines here. I mean, it's number 12 in our top 20 things of the year. 
Yeah, it's about one minute, 40 seconds long, so it's probably, that's shorter than the amount of time we have to talk about it. <laughs> uh, so it's really short, but it was done over a span of five years. Patrick apparently was commissioned in 2011, or just before 2011, around the time Crystal Skull came out. He was actually commissioned, I think, by Lucasfilm to do a art print mm-hmm. of what would it look like if Indiana Jones was a cartoon. Just, just a single frame art print. And it was the scene where him and Marion are trying to escape the tombs and all the dead mummies are falling out of their coffins and stuff like that. And it's just just that one frame and it's really good. But he says after that, it just lit a fire in him where he was just like, dude, I got to see this in motion. Like, this looks so great. And Lucasfilm didn't have any real interest in turning it into a cartoon. So he's like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to make it. So he spent the next five years in his like spare time, free time, just doing a little bit here and there until finally he released it as soon as it was done. And it's pretty amazing. It's just... So I can't even think of, like, to compare it on a nerd level, why it's on the list is this dude asked to do a commission art piece, like, from online, from just being an online artist to spending all his free time trying to make this and to get this done. It's a hardcore dedication yeah. that puts all the fan film projects on our lists every single year. Yeah. And what it is, it's the opener to an imaginary television show. Yes. As though inviting Lucasfilm, come at me. Yeah. Let's no, make completely. this happen. Yeah. And it's just got the music and stuff. And even other fans have taken it and added sound effects to it. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Yeah. It's like, so it's even inspired other fans, like audio editors, to like go in and add all the sound effects of the punches and gunshots and yelling and stuff like that. And it's, I don't know. So it's just really, it's really. In fact, Harrison Ford himself has dubbed it. I don't no, know. Not, no, not yeah. that I'm aware of. <laughs> Um, but it's but it's just impressive, and uh, I really hope Lucasfilm pays attention because it's too good to pass up. It looks amazing. Yeah. I mean, so is it all hand drawn animation? I mean, so over a period of five years, I mean, it just seems like I, I be- so yeah. laborious. I believe it was all the motion was hand animation done by him. I think he had a couple people help with backgrounds, and he had a couple people help with coloring certain shots because as he was getting closer to the end, he could sort of show it off and get more people to help volunteer. Uh, o- over the five years, there were some interns involved, but he I forget what the percentage was, but he quoted yeah. that the by like a, by a massive percentage that all the work was done by him. It was spectacular work of art that, like Doug said, it's super short. You you have to check it out if you haven't seen it. You, you got no excuse. If you love Indiana Jones, you're gonna love this, and you're gonna be so mad it's so short, just like this segment. Yeah. <laughs> Number 11. We got John West on the phone. Hey. This is a real life glider from Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. <laughs> I.e., that thing that you didn't know you needed in your life. <laughs> this is not just like a model. This is not just a scale replica. This is a fully functional glider from an anime made 30 years ago. Complete with a jet engine. How does it work? It's a jet engine, and it has wings. Yep. Is it was it that simple all <laughs> along? I mean, certainly there there had to be some real challenges here. Isn't that like the craziest part about it though? Like this guy keeps being called just an artist. And I'm thinking to myself like, "And you you just designed an entire like jet-powered glider that happens to look like the freaking Nausicaa? Like what are you even doing?" Is it a long-standing project for uh, for this individual? Yeah, there was a model one in 2014 and then so it started mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. the the open sky project which happened about over 10 years ago. So he's been working for a while and they showed a previous model at Nippon 2007 which was Asia's first uh, Worldcon science fiction convention. But then he finally flew it for 70 meters with the artist/badass engineer Kazuhiko Hachia. Uh, steering just using his body weight before coming down for a landing man so it's a five minute total flight that's great i mean it's exactly what it was depicted as being simple elegant functional i mean could you fly longer than that i i I don't know but like at least (laughs) at least in the short term 
the fact that they've managed to pull it off with the same design, at least relatively speaking. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was the whole point of, of course, the model was to test out the aerodynamics. But I think that this is really a testament to how absolutely absurd Miyazaki is, in a way. <laughs> I mean, he loves his airplanes. He does. That's a man who loves a skycraft of some kind. What's weird is he, he's done so many movies that have had extremely accurate airplanes in them. <laughs> and then this... God, I mean, Porco Rosso, you might as well just watch it like, this is how airplanes are engineered from this time period. Like, you know, <laughs> or like, could have been the, in the, a way. The fact that like that one of the earliest projects he ever did features this glider thing and then surprise, you can make a functional one. That's weird. I, I wonder what he thinks about that. Yeah, I'm waiting for that publicity video, right? Yeah, and that's time, but the act of taking a fan project to that extent, that's <laughs> that's several degrees beyond Endangering cosplay. Endangering your own life. <laughs> and they're still working on it, so it's not it's not like, okay, we flew it for 70 meters and that was cool, but nope, we're still we're still going to perfect it and we're still going to work on it. Yeah, they have to get it so they can stand up on it. Amazing. So before we move on to the next phase of the top 20 list, let's confront another elephant in the room. Death. You know, hmm. that thing that's going to happen to all of us sooner or yep. later. This year has just been relentless with beloved celebrity deaths. While compiling this death list, we realized there were, quite frankly, too many people to list. And I had the solemn duty of trimming it down to just the ones who were most pertinent to geekdom. So, of course, the man who started it all in this dreary death march was David Bowie. Mm. Personally, a tremendous loss for me. I We were ramping up to the release of his record Black Star over at Consequence of Sound, my other job. And I had spent about a full month immersing myself in his entire discography because we were doing these big articles ranking and chronicling all his, his various work so already a huge Bowie fan I had spent this entire time with my head swimming with his essence and then all of a sudden boom the worst possible news and uh, Mark with a C and I got together to do an episode of Nerdy Show actually specifically about this and about our love for David Bowie and we'll link to it on this episode's page but he's in good company in the afterlife now because there's, of course, Prince. From comic books, we lost Darwin Cook and Steve Dillon, two absolutely incredible artists, two of my personal favorites. In the world of uh, voice acting, Eric Bowersfield, the voice of Admiral Akbar and Bib Fortuna, Alan Young, the voice of Scrooge McDuck, and C. Martin Croker, the voice of Zorak and many others from Space Ghost Coast to Coast and a bunch of other stuff you've enjoyed. The film world lost Alan Rickman, Gene Wilder, Angus Scrimm, Anton Yelchin, Ron Glass, Firefly's Shepherd Book, and of course, Kenny Baker, R2-D2 himself, and then most recently, astronaut John Glenn. It's an awful, awful thing, and all those wonderful people helped make the world a better place. So for those of us who are yet living in this plane of reality, we're going to do our best to try to fill that void and take notes from them for the good that they've done. Now, since this has been very sobering, we should definitely have a song break. However... The album we're going to <laughs> get a song break from is Lemon Demon Spirit Phone. Which, How did I know you were going to go there? <laughs> which is largely morbid and uh, revolving around various kinds of death. Whimsical death in all cases. It is, yeah. So, in the interest of whimsy, we are going to do a death song, but it's a funny death song. It's about uh, candying corpses for medicinal reasons. This is a track called Sweet Bod.
Let's pick things back up. We got John West here with us, and we're halfway through. Let's talk about the 10th nerdiest thing of 2016. Uh, what is that? It's a short film called Hyper Reality. Oh, my God. I love it. Or I hate it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, it is an incredible thing, but it is also everything that I fear for the future in many ways. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> That's accurate. <laughs> 
What if augmented reality was a complete dystopia filled with gamification and identity theft? This film, it does present like the worst case scenario for our present technologies and how they could evolve. Not just in, in how they are aesthetically, not in just like three-dimensional pop-up ads and a constant nightmare of social interaction in a digital world where there's no real social interaction, but being a slave to that in a, in a real physical way. Ugh. Yeah, no, and I mean, like, there's so many tiny little things. Every second of that film, there's about a hundred things happening, which, of course, helps, you know, with the whole feeling of saturation. But I mean, everything is thought out. I mean, it's intricate. At one point, the woman's account is sort of switching over to like that of like a man's and like the yogurt is all of a sudden called something ridiculous like mangurt for men only. And so it completely changes the packaging. Yeah, like she, she's having like, a glitch if, and, and it shows that yeah. like that the, the presentation of her entire reality has been tailored specifically to the stats on her. And I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're dealing with that right now. That's every marketer's dream, really. I mean, it, it is. That's how the Internet ideally would operate. And a marketer's eye would be every single page would be custom tailored to the individual. And I mean, it pays off, especially because <laughs> small, little, tiny things like just a phrase or a specific word can mean huge amounts of money to an advertiser. <laughs> and so this is like the realization that in the, in the worst possible way. Yeah, you know, this is this year for all the awful stuff that's happened in it. We're in the midst of an information war. And there's this really great article that The Guardian published by Carol Kedwallader called Google Democracy and the Truth About Internet Search that I'll link to on this episode's page. Everybody should read it. It's pretty sobering. And in it, there's a quote from Google's chairman, Eric Schmidt, from his book, the book he co-wrote, The New Digital Age. The internet is among the few things that humans have built that they don't understand. It is the largest experiment involving anarchy in history. Hundreds of millions of people are, each minute, creating consuming untold amount of digital content in an online world that is not truly bound by terrestrial laws. Well, there you have it. <laughs> now imagine if that digital, crazy, weird whatever world also spilled out into the real, real world all the time in the form of literally everything you see in here. Yeah. Just a constant state of anxiety attacks and just flashing nonsense everywhere. Ads all the time. I love the cat floating in the sky, though. Yeah, that was true. Yeah, I could, <laughs> I, I could, I could get behind that. So that's the key is to be able to filter through that horrible mess. So that's the short film Hyperreality by Keiichi Matsuda. If you're watching any short film this year, you should check it out. It's it's funny. It's six minutes long. It's no real investment of time, but it is incredible. It is it is incredible. It's an, it's a wonderful achievement. It's uh it's better than the thing written by an algorithm. <laughs> um, by by a long shot. <laughs> yep. And as you can tell, it placed higher on this list for sci-tech nerd quality, dystopian sci-fi quality, and also it's quite well written and very complicated and very very challenging to have been filmed so we'll link to all that on this episode's page of course number nine we have aaron back on the line yeah hi <laughs> number nine is what, young, what is number nine it's young animal oh shit dc comics brand new imprint from gerard way the front man of my chemical romance this is coming at a renaissance for dc comics who have seriously redeemed themselves after doing the worst comic event of all time, Convergence. But now with DC Rebirth, they are thriving and doing some extremely risky and quality creative material. It's maybe been 10 years since DC Comics was this good, and now it's very good. And with experimentation like Young Animal happening, it's an amazing time to be a DC Comics fan, or a comic fan in general. I love Young Animal. Like From when this was announced, after I got the ball rolling on it, I mean... I don't know how much credit I should take, but um, 
well, Gerard Way. He was at a comic convention. I asked him a question in front of like a thousand teenage girls. And <laughs> I, I said, well, why don't you write Doom Patrol since, you know, you like DC Comics so much. And he said, you liked X-Men, just write Doom Patrol. And he said, I had a pitch that was approved, but I couldn't fit it in my schedule. I'm like, well, what the hell are you doing now? You know, you're, you're not touring. I mean, I, I don't just do it. Just, just friggin' do it. We need comics that are good. And uh, so he put together a, an entire pop-up imprint around me asking him to do Doom Patrol. So from my personal request, he <laughs> basically took the um, 90s Vertigo DC universe of oddball heroes and redid it for today. It's nostalgic, but also fresh at the same time. And it's a nice batch of books. Doom Patrol is... Um, basically a thematic sequel to Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, but it has its own wackiness. And the other books are also quite good, especially uh, Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Yeah. And Gerard Way is the brains behind all this, but he's not the only writer. Cave Carson has a co-writer in uh, John Rivera, Shade the Changing Girls, written by Cecil Castellucci, Mother Panic's written by Jody Hauser, and they all have amazing co-creators and artists on there. Tommy Lee Edwards on Mother Panic, uh, Marley Zarcone, Michael Avon Oming, Nick Darrington. It's, yes. It is 90s Vertigo, <laughs> but now, and it's actually in the DC Universe, unlike what happened to Vertigo. Right. Yeah, uh, Vertigo was originally in DC Universe, but then um, the editor decided, like, no, it's not. So, like, the first couple years were. When uh, Sandman uh, Morpheus died, the Justice League was at his funeral. You know what I mean? Like, it was in the DC Universe. And then it wasn't. And Aaron was sad. But now <laughs> it's back and it's better than ever. When Gerard Way at North Carolina Comic Con this year personally told you that you were responsible for this. So you're not just taking credit for it. You're responsible no, for no, one No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It does sound like I'm full of crap, you know, like... <laughs> overstating the whole thing but no he literally said from the stage this year that my question just stuck with him and he kept thinking about it he kept thinking about it and that's what young animal became and this isn't that. <laughs> this isn't nepotism I'm that we serious. have that we have you talking about this like in number nine on our list and the alarm's about to go off because we're at three minutes there it is read doom patrol <laughs> and if you want somebody to come back just ask them what they're doing with their life and just then they'll do it the, the fact of the matter is, these are nerdy comic book stories of the highest degree, tapping back into one of the nerdiest things DC ever did in terms of Vertigo and the storytelling there. And this is a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. Young Animal is super cool, and good stuff is happening at DC Comics in general. Right. The climate of DC with New 52 after a while was don't try anything different. Don't do anything weird. We're just doing the main characters. And it's like, well, you know, there's a lot of fans out there that like weird shit. And DC has a lot of weird shit in their past. So cutting that off, it just makes the DC universe not as fun for me at all. <laughs> so I'm happy now. Coming in at number eight, we got Doug back with us. Yo, Doug, why don't you tell us what number eight is? It's a live performance by Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem at a music festival. And it was a legit 25-minute set. <laughs> they played five <laughs> songs. A couple of them were covers. And... Uh, most yeah. of them were covers. Yeah, yeah, mo most of them were covers. I think I think only like one of them was like an original. Yeah, song. It, was, it was. Can you picture that from the Muppet movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I yeah, it's one of these shows that are sold out in San Francisco, and like I don't have any interest in going generally. But had I looked at the like the set list and seen them, I would have paid the ridiculous amount of money that those tickets cost to see it live. You can watch it all online, and I mean, it, it is actually the band performing. Now, granted, I don't think it's possible that actual instruments were played, but it was definitely live singing. As the puppeteers were puppeting. Yeah. 
in fact, I've searched, I've gone deep as deep as I could to try to find any behind the scenes notes on how this project happened, why it happened. I got nothing. Well, I heard that last year, because this was the San Francisco Outside Lands Festival, I heard that last year at the same fest, they had Dr. Teeth announce the lineup. Oh, so they had some sort of budding relationship there somehow. I I have no other further information on that, but that he was somehow involved with announcing the lineup for the shows a year ago. And then now a year later, he he played with the band. I don't know. So, uh, I mean, this is like the equivalent of if Daft Punk's fictional band from their concept record, the Crescendals, like played live. This is the electric, Electric Mayhem. They've been with us for 40 years as pop culture icons, but purely fictional, purely existing in this weird place where just, I mean, everybody loves the Muppets. They're kind of a universally beloved thing and to have a live performance of them. I, I thought you were going to go the direction of this would be like Jim and the Hologram as being a holographic projection a la Tupac. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that is true. That is actually a better example than what I just gave. But still, just the, the point being, <laughs> it's amazing to see a fictional band actually playing in reality. Yeah. And they, they had an Oakland Tabernacle Choir came with them for a Joe Cocker kind of rendition of with a little help from my friends. It's it's a beautiful set. It's a be- I, I, my heart welled up. I I almost cried during Janice and Floyd's performance of uh, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zero's Home. Like it's beautiful. And actually, there's a cover story from Consequence of Sound that we'll link to where they talk with Jim James, the frontman of My Morning Jacket, and the alarm's about to go off. But I'm gonna I'm gonna, just gonna I'm gonna kill it here and finish this story, and then we'll move on. But he said that Disney approached him a long while back, sometime prior to 2011, prior to the recent Muppet movie revival, about the Electric Mayhem performing as a touring band and him writing new music for them. Whoa. And it didn't end up happening. Oh. He did, however, write two tracks, both of which ended up in different versions on their record, uh, uh, Circuitual. And as a record sort of single, the Muppety versions of them showed up. They need to go on tour with Spinal Tap. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, they opened for Spinal Tap. <laughs> that would be incredible. Or vice versa. I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> So, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. If you're a Muppet fan, this has been like a long time in the making. And the fact that it's in our top 10, I think, goes to show where our hearts are at with this one. Floyd said it was, their, it was the start of their world tour. Dr. Teeth corrected, no, it's actually this is our only, only stop on the tour. I'd see it. Yeah. I'd just, go see just, it. Just have Animal be the stand-in drummer for Spinal Tap. <laughs> just because they always have one that explodes. Just picture Dr. Teeth and Electric Mayhem and Spinal Tap all collaborating on singing Big Bottom. That'd be amazing. Of course, I don't know if they would be comfortable singing certain phrases. Did you watch the whole performance? Floyd was talking about acid flashbacks and uh, electric mayhem for adults now. Oh, and it starts singing Hellhole, you know? Yeah. And what's more, this performance happened after the cancellation of the Muppets television series, just as the show was really getting its legs. Mm -hmm. So just more Muppets in the world, especially something like this, something that's very like that new series, adult-oriented Muppet stuff. It's, it's all ages, but it's got mm-hmm. enough of an edge to, to hold everyone's attention. I think that it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. I hope we see more of it. Well, they, they do have a new live street show at Magic Kingdom. True. It's a start. Granted, Floyd's not going to be talking about his acid flashbacks in that particular <laughs> venue. Number seven, we got Aaron back on the line. Hi, I'm Aaron. Let's talk about Deadpool. Deadpool. Dude, that movie was awesome. It's like seriously pretty much my favorite superhero movie from the very beginning. Like I like things to start in the middle and then give me the uh the origin story in little pieces throughout. Like I don't need the linear superhero thing, you know? 
Like, yes, it was weird and lewd and, and, and hyper-violent and, and ridiculous and breaking the fourth wall, but just the story structure alone of that movie is better to me than most superhero movies. 100% yes. I mean, this it's a passion project, right? <laughs> yeah. Gr- growing up reading Joe Kelly's run on Deadpool, I always thought a Deadpool movie would be so incredible, but it could never have been made. And then, lo and behold, thanks to Ryan Reynolds' perseverance as a dedicated fan, they made right. a perfect Deadpool movie. Yeah, he wanted to do justice to Deadpool after that uh, Wolverine movie, you know, sewing his mouth shut. Hollywood's like, oh, he's a merc with a mouth? What if he didn't have a mouth? <laughs> We're like, no, fuck you. Edgy. That's stupid. <laughs> right? He made his own little um, teaser, you know, like a screen test of him as Deadpool and leaked it and then fans got behind it and then he got financing and did his own thing. And it was amazing. People that weren't at all Deadpool fans went to see that movie. A guerrilla film project for the love of a comic book character and the love to, to do it correct. I, I, I don't know how confirmed this is, but my understanding is that Ryan Reynolds put forth a bunch of his own personal finances just to make sure this was done right and didn't have too much right. like studio infringement on what needed to be done to do this correctly. Yeah, and it was done low budget too. You know, they even have that end joke of like, you couldn't afford another X-Man? <laughs> they had like two. <laughs> it was so good. And you're right, it, it cost them $58 million to make, which is nothing for a film of this scale. And it is the biggest grossing X-Men film of all time and the highest grossing R-rated film ever. Right. Incredible. So, Ryan and that- Reynolds redeemed himself in, <laughs> in the eyes of the public. After Green Lantern, now, you know, he's totally come back. Yeah. It was touch and go there for his career for a little bit. <laughs> what made this rank so high is that this is, all the success is a byproduct of simply being true to the character and doing right by the character and the fans. Yeah. Imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we're at time. Sweet. Number six. We got Doug back with us. Yo, yo. Let's talk about Back to the Future, the Continuum Conundrum. Yes, let's. I've got the clock set. You know, I was saying for the longest time that if you wanted another Back to the Future story, your best bet was to go to the Telltale game. And admittedly, it wasn't perfect, but it really captured the spirit, especially in the final couple episodes. This comic uh, is the new go-to. <laughs> like Even just this series. You don't have to go read the entire thing from start to finish, but just read the... The, the, the Continuum Conundrum volume. Yeah, yeah. Just, just read that volume, and it's wonderful. It really felt like another grand adventure that ties in perfectly. So basically, Marty's kind of down in the dumps because he hasn't been on an amazing adventure in a while, and he's not sure what he wants to do with his he's, life. He's sort of sh- shell-shocked. Yeah, because he's seen some amazing stuff all within a span of about a week. <laughs> and um, <laughs> even if you consider the video game canon, it still fits. But man, it would be even crazier. And now things are getting kind of boring, and life sort of moves on, and he's just missing an adventure. Then one day he gets a letter from Clara from the 1880s. And she says, Doc has gone missing. Help find my husband. I don't know how to reach him. I don't know if this can even reach you. I'm not a scientist, but this worked before, so please help find him. So Marty starts looking for Doc, and when he finds a secret lab... The one where he did the plutonium experiment. Yeah, where he actually built the DeLorean. He finds that secret lab. Doc shows up out of nowhere in a diving suit, and he rips his helmet off, has no memory of who he is, who Marty is, where or when he is, and Marty has to help him get his memory back and piece together, find out where the hell he just came from and, and wh- actually, how Mar- to get him Marty back. And actually, Marty and Jennifer. Jennifer yeah, takes Je- a big spot in the Jennifer, story. I was going to say, Jennifer actually becomes a major player in the game. and It's refreshing. Yeah. Really. It, no, it's good, because like they, they keep setting her up, and the film's like, oh, it, she's going to get in the car with him. Oh, but nothing really happens. And then in the game, she's there for a little bit, but uh, she's just there for like an episode or two. Here, it becomes like a trio, and it really works wonderfully. I already know, next time I see Back to the Future 3, and in the end, when he's just like, 
Doc, where are you going to go now? Back to the future? And he goes, nope, already been there. I'm like, yeah. It's like, it's so perfect that it really comes full circle with that. I just got chills, actually. Yeah. <laughs> No, I got no, I got chills reading when it ended. Like when and when they go into the when he goes into the distant future, because without giving everything away, they're going to go even further in the future than they've ever been before. They do what Back to the Future did for 2015. They do for 2015. Yes, they yeah. go an additional 20, 20 years. years in the future, and it is as scathing a parody of our present day as, as 2015 <laughs> was to the 80s. It's like. It's it's great. It, it is the perfect Back to the Future sequel, and it was written. The stories by Bob Gale, the writer of Back to the Future, with John Barber, who ultimately did the uh, the script for the book itself. He's been a major presence for this comic series. And it's so good. I, I'll just say in closing, I used to always think, man, I would love to travel into the future after seeing because I'd see you know 2015 and Back to the Future two, and I'd be like, oh, that's I can relate to that. That's not that far. That not not that crazy to me. Seeing where they go now? No, I'm not going to the future. It's, it's <laughs> awful. It's an awful place. It's crazy. I won't understand it. I'll just it, stay home. It, it, it's fascinating because it's not apocalyptic. No, no, no. It's just completely and utterly alien. And to- uh, Yeah, unintelligible. <laughs> I have no idea what they're doing. It's great. <laughs> if you love Back to the Future, you have to read this story. It's a must, yeah. Coming in at number five, Majora's Mask, Terrible Fate. No, this is not an official Nintendo product. This is a fan creation, and it is incredible. I'm starting the clock. Welcome back, Brandon. Hey, what's up, guys? I saw this actually recently. It's a very recent addition to this. Yeah. And it was... It was one of those last-minute cram-in. Oh, shit, this was cool. We yeah. need to put it in. I, I, I watched it, and it's this really horrifyingly creepy but awesome and heartwarming movie of what happens to the, what, the Skull Kid from yeah. George's Mask. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought it was actually a Nintendo thing. I thought it was like a license. Like Nintendo made this really Because well, the cool production short. value is... It's so good. It's actually, I think, better than anything Nintendo has done. Aside from the Mario Brothers movie. What, <laughs> you can't beat perfection. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but it is hands down the best thing, like video I've seen of any Nintendo product ever. It, yeah. I mean, so it was made... Um, there's a, a guy, Theo Fanny, and he made albums to go along with it. Like music and albums. He was working on those for four years, and then he had some friends from middle school that founded Ember Lab, who then made the video for it. So they did all of the graphics and, you know, the CG, I mean, they just partnered together and made this amazing work. Yeah, that's, um, that's a shocking thing. This is a glorified music video. And it seems like yeah. so much effort went into it for just like a bunch of old middle schoolers got together and hung out and made this really cool video. True, though, I mean... We were, were all middle schoolers at some point. Well, true. I mean, actually, many of us at Nerdy Show were together at middle school or something along those mm-hmm. lines. But now we we know about the studio. And I, I mean, I, I looked at their repertoire. They're doing high quality stuff, clearly. Well, I was going to say, I don't know what else they've done, but I really hope they get more work after this because it's it, they need that. I mean, people are like, when is Nintendo going to tell them to cease and desist on this? Because it's getting a lot of traction and the quality's so high. And Nintendo is known for doing that. <laughs> yeah. And you already mistook it for a Nintendo like it, Yeah, thing. it's that good. Well, it's actually... I. At first, I was like, there's no way Nintendo made this because it's actually something that's good. So so pessimistic. Yeah. <laughs> what was the last thing they made that was anything like a commercial or a movie that I enjoyed? Pokemon movie, like 27? Oh, you're talking about, you're talking about films, Just I see. Any, yeah. anything they've made that is an actual something you can sit down and watch. It, you can't think of it, can you? No, you can't. Uh, well, I mean, they just make great games. That's, that's mm, what you know, they do. That's up for debate. But anyway, <laughs> we were talking about... Majora's Mask, it, it, this video. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's great. It's moody. It's got all the intensity of that game. And I really like that they didn't make Skull Kid out to be this total, like, evil 
jackhole. They really <laughs> did separate it. So it was like the mask is what's evil. So you see like lighthearted Skull Kid before he happens upon the mask and then what happens there. Skull so Kid was I, always misunderstood. Yeah. If you beat the game, you would know that. <laughs> Not his fault. But as a fan project, as fan films go, absolutely incredible. So I can't wait for their Pokemon one or Metroid. <laughs> Please, Metroid. Number four. We got John back with us. I am? Yes, you are. We're going to talk about SpaceX landing a reusable rocket on a barge. And a couple other places, too. SpaceX's reusable rockets in general and the fact that they are a real thing, they exist, and they work. All important. Yeah. Now, I mean, the top of the top 20 usually has some kind of genuine sci-tech breakthrough on here, but the way we qualify that above all others is a nerd factor. And this topic is here because so many industry people told Elon Musk that this was absolutely impossible. Yeah, no, I mean, pretty much everybody, nobody would do this. This is just crazy, you know. <laughs> nobody makes a reusable rocket. And it's one of the reasons that space travel is so expensive, right? You yeah. You can't reuse the materials. Um, Can you so imagine it, I, all the engineering time? Yeah. No. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> well, it's NRE, right? Non-recurring engineering costs. It's one-time cost. They've engineered it. Now. Yeah, but then the manufacturing and the raw materials and the mining and the it's just to be vaporized all to get like, you know, one ton into space. And five crashes before this one or four crashes. I, can't, I don't remember which it was. And of course, the whole point is, is especially being able to actually successfully land it on a barge, which, you know, you have the rocket coming in and moving around. And then you have the barge theoretically in the, the ocean, you know, moving around. This algorithm's going to work. I mean, you got all sorts of stuff happening and it worked. It allows us to have higher velocity launches and still recover the damn thing. I'm just waiting for them to actually try to launch one of them back up again. But They've landed it, and that's great. But then how much cost does it take to, to kind of patch it up and, and make sure it's ready to launch right. again? I actually had the chance to see the first stage separation return uh, during a night launch, and it was crazy just to see this thing go, you know, to go up and then have this other bit come back down practically adjacent to each other i wasn't particularly close but you know you can not in a fireball not not right come back down not in a fireball yes <laughs> it's tremendous i mean like it looks like fantasy it looks like jules verne rocket fantasy but it's real and that's tremendous so hats off to elon you did it number three the sensation that swept the entire world it's pokemon go and then swept no one just as quickly. Yeah. Now you might be thinking, guys, come on. We all know that Pokemon Go is it's 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 a ghost town now. Almost no one's playing it. Yeah, it's true. But before that happened, I mean, it was a it's a huge phenomenon, and you can't ignore what it did in its first couple weeks. People who never probably played any of Nintendo games or only played the games when they were kids suddenly were into Pokemon again and they were out on the streets walking around congregating in groups saying like hey there's an onyx over there hurry 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 before it's gone everyone seemed to be playing this game for a good week and it's not just the scale of people playing it it's the fact that what they were doing playing this alternate reality game interfacing with virtual items in physical space and doing it through the medium of Pokemon it created some weird sci-fi here in reality. And sci-fi becoming reality, that's kind of what the top 20 nerdy things list is all about. Especially when you get towards the top. 
Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, it's really the first time that they did kind of AR on the scale. And even though they're like catching Pokemon in real life using the camera wasn't so great, it was still the first time, well, not the first time, but in a mainstream way that it was actually done. And it caused chaos. Businesses were drawing in new business just because they're Pokestops. They then had to stop drawing business because they were getting vandalized or something like that. There were stampedes in Thailand, and in September, when a Lapras showed up in Tokyo, it caused insane traffic jams, what people were calling Lapras Panic. <laughs> it looked like a kaiju film. It really genuinely did. It did. It did. Then there was like kind of the dark side of things, too, where you know people got mugged, were kind of lured to a Pokestop. They'd put a lure down at like 2 in the morning, and people would try to rob them. A girl in like the first couple days found a dead body, and it was just like, okay, this is what happens when you wander in strange places. Or new safety concerns that you never thought of before. Like, maybe don't go to the dark corner at two in the morning because there might be somebody waiting but for you. But that girl who found the body, she wasn't going to let that stop her. She, she oh, said in no. the interview she was gonna, she needed to be over there to get those water types. Yep, yep. She was like, well, you know, I did a civic duty, I guess, and going to keep on hiking. <laughs> and here's the thing, though. Pokemon Go might not be dead. There's something a-brewing. There's an update coming before Christmas and it might, I'm not going to say it's going to, but it might absolutely change the game and start the Pokemon Go fever all over again. Because all of the Generation 2 Pokemon are coming. Um, all Pokemon will have male or female types. There'll be the chance for shiny Pokemon. There'll be Christmas costumes for Pokemon. More Poke Trainer avatar customization. And there's a rumor of a Christmas miracle in the form of a legendary Pokemon showing up. Oh, I'd give it a go again. Wait, can I tell a quick a quick Pokemon Go story? Because I just found it out this weekend. Sure. With how quickly it hyped. Uh, my boyfriend, he was going to propose while we were playing Pokemon Go and even got like a machined Pokeball. And his oh whole thing was, if you remember in the first episode of the dubbed Pokemon, Ash sees his first Pidgey and he's like, say goodbye to your freedom, Pidgey, because I'm going to catch you. And Steven's plan was to throw a Pokeball at me while saying that uh, by way of a proposal. But I ruined it by not liking Pokemon Go anymore. Wow, dude. <laughs> also, I suppose it should be noted that uh, that thing that Steven was saying to you was meant to be ironic. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yes. Yes. And not 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 by any way, because we, we actually were rewatching Pokemon recently and we watched it. We're like, wow, this is a really a really terrible thing for this guy to say to this Pokemon. That's and they opened the show with this. But yeah, it was it totally, totally meant to be ironic uh, and funny. <laughs> we're in the home stretch now. Here's number two. We got Doug back with us. Yo, yo, yo. Let's talk about Stranger Things. You knew it must have been on the list somewhere, and yeah. here it is at the top, practically. Uh, well, what can we say about Stranger Things that hasn't already been said? <sighs> Not a lot, except that it's both a show that is nerdy in and of itself, but then also nerdy within itself. Mm -hmm. And that's what gets it up this high on the list, is that it's a nerdy story by nerds, for nerds, entrenched in nerd culture. Yeah. It's For, like nerdception. <laughs> basically. It, no, it really is. That's a great example. Because, you know, I I had friends who were that age in the 80s, and they're like, oh, no, there's some anachronistic problems here. I don't quite think that that happened that exact way at that exact time. And I'm just like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, this, 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 and like, oh, okay, well, whatever. Like, good example is like, the thing probably wasn't on home video at the time. And if it was, it would have been like ridiculously expensive that a science teacher probably wouldn't have afforded it, but maybe he could have. I don't know. It's just a stretch. But that's when I stopped defending the movie as, or movie, sorry. When I stopped defending <laughs> the series as uh, a love letter to the 80s. It's not really a love letter to the 80s. It's a love letter to pop culture of the 80s. 
So it's not 100% accurate to like what it was like to live in the 80s. Sure. It's a, it's the spirit of like Spielbergian sci-fi and a little bit of X-Files mixed in with uh, like, you know, weird science, but a little bit with Goonies. And a generous helping of Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Uh, so it's really got all those ingredients thrown together to tell you a new story that's familiar but new. And, and that's that's one of the things that makes it so high ranking is that for all its popularity, for all of its referencing and everything, Stranger Things didn't pander. It didn't pander, but it didn't like break the mold either. It's not like no. they strove out and did something. I've never seen that before. It's more of like, oh, it's like a warm blanket. Like, you know, this is like really makes me. It's nice. This is great, and it's just spoopy enough where you get a little little spooked, but you know, but it's not it's not going to really scare you. Like, it's safe enough to watch with with the family and and not. And, and is it? Might be a little. Squeamish. I don't think it is. I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> you got a weird family, Doug. No, well, I mean, at least my family is safe enough to watch. It's like because we, you know we'd watch scarier, crazier stuff all the time. So I don't know. Maybe if you're a little in a sort of more conservative household, maybe not, but I think it's safe for most people. If you're interested in mystery and sci-fi, then yeah, you've seen worse stuff, so go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, an, an incredible show. Can't wait for season two, and even beyond Stranger Things, can't wait to see what the Duffer Brothers do next, because clearly they have a hell of an eye yeah. and a great knack for storytelling. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, is it derivative of a lot of things? Absolutely it is. But the fact is, no one's made anything like this in such a long time yeah. that, I mean, it's a genre Regardless of the time period it's set in, it's a genre that should continue to exist. And the other people tried to do that kind of nostalgic thing and did it crappy. This one did it good. Yeah. Now, all right. Before we reveal the number one top nerdiest thing of the year, we do have something that is truly incredible that while all of our pop culture and nonsense shoot it off the top 20 list, we had to give recognition to this. This is this year's Aw Yeah SciTech Award. And we got Brandon back here with us. Hey, I'm, I'm back for another super laxative. <laughs> super laxative all science. Yeah. Reward. Award. Award. And I've started the clock. We're going to talk about NASA's incredible Juno probe mission. Juno is a satellite that was launched from like an Atlas V rocket in 2011 and then spun around the sun a few times and then met up with the Earth again two years later to be flung around it straight towards Jupiter. It got there this year. And if you go online, you can see some crazy new images, never before taken, of Jupiter. We've never been this close. We had a satellite years ago that didn't do shit. But this one, <laughs> this one's amazing. You can actually see the North Pole of Jupiter, and it's, like, really dark blue. It's a completely different color from the rest of the planet. And there are storms on it, like, crazier storms than anywhere else. And there are clouds so high up, they're casting shadows on Jupiter underneath them. And it's really cool. There's also southern, it looks like, like a magic eye. Yes, I want to say yes. And there's also you can see the southern like aurora borealis or whatever they call it there, but the electromagnetic storms now. So there's pictures of that online. You should really see. And there's a ton of experiments to see whether or not there's you know oxygen, water. But we don't know much about gas giants at all. We don't know if they have a solid core, a liquid core, any core at all. Well, what's your core? Gas. My core is peanut butter and nougat, but which I'm betting Jupiter is too, because that's, that's the only thing I think that can sustain that kind of mass. But the point is to see how gas giants were formed, because a lot of people don't realize that every planet in our solar system is about the exact same age. They're all made at the same time. So Jupiter is just as old as the Earth, like 4.5 billion years or something like crazy like that. And so we have no idea if there's water in there, if there's just like crazy little fun life forms in the center where there's absolutely no storms. Or if there's just an ocean of water or just pure mercury death poison. Juno is important because we can then harvest Jupiter and steal all of its resources for our own. It's probably got a core of diamonds we can use. 
I, I mean, according to 2010 uh, Odyssey 2, the Arthur C. Clarke novel, <laughs> after the monolith implodes Jupiter and turns it into a second sun within our solar system, the core of Jupiter is is or was diamondized and falls <laughs> onto the moon of Europa. Um, yeah. Well, I think the coolest thing is when the mission ends later this year or next year, I forget. We're, we're close to the end. It took most of it to get there. They're going to spiral it down into orbit, and it's going to get closer and closer and closer, and they're going to be taking images as they plummet to the death of this spacecraft and and really cool images. And then they're just going to crash into it and disintegrate and take the readings from it. Which is incredible. Yeah, I well, mean, like, and well, the reason is because they can't just leave it in orbit. They don't want to contaminate. They're actually really afraid of contaminating the moons around Jupiter with oh. this space debris in case there's bacteria or anything that gets on it. So they, they need to incinerate the shit out of it. That's like their rule. When they send great. things out, they have to destroy them. And yeah, that's, uh, that's my take on that. Uh, oh, perfect. Good. Nailed it. Stuck the landing, Brandon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited about Juno. I, I want them to tell me actual details soon because I'm trying to figure out what they've learned so far. I'm having trouble figuring that out. If it well, they learned that yeah. they didn't know anything or anything that they assumed was not right. Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> sent, they sent a satellite out in like the early 90s that I think reached it, but I don't think they learned anything except that, yep, the planet is definitely right there where we launched our satellite towards. I think they measured some like their winds and stuff so they knew like their deep winds were like 380 miles an hour yeah we, yep that is yeah. one thing we learned about it yep yeah, we're <laughs> like, there's electrical storms we know well, that you can see it's that a gas giant yeah. and that's and we're out but they're yeah they're sending like x-rays and microwaves on this thing there so we can see inside of it so that's gonna be cool all right number one we got john west back with us still somehow <laughs> <laughs> so that must mean we're talking about SciTech. Hmm, what do you think it's gonna be what's happened this year that's SciTech related. It's going to be number one. I don't know if anybody could guess it, honestly. I mean, Jesus. I don't think they would. <laughs> we, we just... I know what I would have put there. <laughs> what, what, what would you have put here? I would have put just Elon having crazy plan about going to <laughs> Mars in general, but, you know. Well, that's the thing. We don't, on the top 20 nerdy things, we have to strive to not do good ideas because plenty of people announce good ideas. And that's certainly a very that's good idea. That's why this is hard. That's why this list is always hard to do. <laughs> Well, you can think about it. We don't want to be like patent trolls or like patent trolls in the patent system. You can't listicle an idea, much like you shouldn't be allowed to patent an idea. But somewhere no along the line, that is going to wind up there if he actually pulls that off at all. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I will rig our voting system and uh, vote multiple times if that happens. It's not Elon's plan to go to Mars. It's not the Juno mission. We just talked about that. It got an oh yeah, SciTech award. So what is the thing? Well... Number one is a school bus, a authentic magic school bus that goes on a VR field trip to Mars. No Miss Frizzle, though. They missed out. Where's the cross-marketing there? It'll happen. I mean, give it time. If this becomes standardized, it'll happen. What we're talking about is the world's first shared experience virtual reality. Isn't it a surprise that uh, virtual reality made it onto the list? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Somewhere, sort of. <laughs> this thing is bonkers. I mean... It is literally, it's a school bus, you load kids into, they're driving along like normal, and all of a sudden, boom, the windows hit to black, and all of a sudden, they're driving on the surface of Mars. The level of detail is absolutely ridiculous. This was designed by the VFX house Framestone, who have like Oscars and BAFTAs and awards from Cannes, and Lockheed Martin commissioned them to do this thing as a part of their Generation Beyond initiative to inspire kids, well, to someday do things involving colonizing Mars. So that's why they used all that tech that was probably a little bit over the top. <laughs> they, Lockheed. They used, uh, they used a lot of tech. They used accelerometers. Magnetometers. 
and a laser surface velocimeter so it could know how fast the school bus was going and also GPS to determine where the school bus was because they mapped 250 square miles of the surface of Mars onto the streets of Washington, D.C. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome. Um, and I think I think one of the, the coolest things for me is the fact that it's like a shared experience or like a, a shared VR experience. So you can have someone on the other side of the bus point something out and be like, hey, look at this cool thing over there. You get the feeling that you're actually moving, so you don't you are. necessarily get. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so you don't necessarily get that like nauseating feeling when you just put on VR goggles and you're like, okay, this thing is moving, but I'm staying stationary, and this is kind of disorienting. And then they also have a full sound system, so if there's a sandstorm on Mars, they have the sound effects to go along with it. So you are actually then hearing and seeing and feeling like you are riding along on the surface of Mars. And these smart windows, they're custom-made, hand-built, 4K transparent displays with a layer of switchable film. And they also appear to be touch-sensitive. The complexity in this virtual reality machine that they've made inside a school bus is baffling. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what their plans are with it now. I don't know if they're going to take it on a tour, uh, they're going to build more of them. But I would certainly love to see more of this. And just, again, like with my nerdy teacher inside of me, it's such a cool educational opportunity for a field trip for students uh, to not only on the surface of Mars, but for anything. Um, I mean, you could map anything and take students anywhere and have a conversation about it. So it would be really cool if this becomes a more a more mainstream thing. Perhaps into the body. Yes. But uh, you got to stop in the colon and go back up the other way because that's uh, not G-rated for the Magical School Bus. No, no, no. That's just it's a learning experience. Uh, I mean, like you remember that, that, that old Aqua Teen episode with this horse's anus. Master Shake said it was like a luge. So why not? Then there was the Archer episode and God, I, pretty much every show that has any sci-fi you're going inside a butt. It's going to happen. It's, it's the final frontier. People people think it's space, but no, it's the colon. <laughs> In many ways, it is. <laughs> we'll link to the videos for the VR school bus. Prepare to be impressed. Jess, I've never been on the Hogwarts Express. This is like light years beyond what they do there, right? When they when it, it's the virtual experience of going to It would be Hogwarts. very easy oh, yeah. to be beyond the Hogwarts Express. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. I, I mean, that's it's cool, but there's... Um, it's not like, oh my gosh, amazing. This is light years so much better. It has to be seen and be believed. And I do I do genuinely think that this is the future of virtual tourism. This is going to be a thing or at least some futuristic version of it. And basically go to the library and look at the volumes of Magic School Bus. Each one of those things is, is potential. Drive along the ocean floor, drive through the human body. I guess the hard part is road mapping, mapping roads. Because the Mars, Mars helps because yeah. it's an open Mars terrain. is open. But yeah, it's absolutely incredible what Framestore accomplished here. It's just absolutely incredible. And that's it. That's our top 20 nerdy things of 2016. Woo! We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you uh, stick with us in the new year in 2017, which we aspire to being considerably better than this year. We can only go up from here. Uh, I mean, yeah. That is absolutely not true. Yeah. yeah. There is always It's nice time. to think that way. We have to act on those intentions so we can fight back all the bullshit that's out to get us. Indeed. So join us in fighting back the imminent bullshit of 2017 and making it awesome in spite of everything. And maybe one of our top nerdy 2017 things will be a real life Dumbledore's army because that would be on my list. So taking us out, we'll close on something cheerful and something pertaining to the top 20 list. We have another track 
from the Chronicles of Time Chrono Trigger compilation. This is Stimmage performing one of the tracks from Millennial Fair, Sunny with a 100% chance of balloons, which sounds great and enjoy this track, but do keep in mind that if you can think of an animal, a balloon has probably killed it, so use balloons responsibly. Way to bring it down at the end. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I didn't, seriously, just be, be careful with balloons. Be careful, but enjoy this track, and, and thank you for listening. <laughs> listening to nerdy show if you like what you heard please rate and review us on itunes or like and follow us on soundcloud as listener supported entertainment we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the nerdy show network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via patreon any contribution gets you exclusive outtakes episodes and images from across the network and there's even more perks available just head to patreon.com slash nerdy show To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a comment, like and share, and follow Nerdy Show on all of your favorite social networks. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. 